greet each one of you in Jesus' name this morning. It was good to be here so far. It was a blessing. Um, I was amazed by Caleb's thought that a hundred Jews were asked what that their uh, passage in Isaiah, uh, who it was talking about, and that a lot of them didn't know. And I'm, and uh, I think it's not stretching it when I say it's pivotal, pivotal, pivotal. Well, I can't say the word, so, uh, but it's it's what we hang our whole religion on. These lessons that we're studying right now. Uh, the, what Christ has done for us and the cross. <laughs> and so, um, we can't, uh, we can't savor it enough and, and look at it enough. So, uh, I think it was last week's, uh, sermon, maybe Todd's emphasis on the sermon kept me thinking about it this week. And I kept, uh, I, we're, we're going to stay on today is Palm Sunday and we're going to look at Palm Sunday and the surroundings. So we're backing up from our lesson just a little bit. Uh, but uh, a phrase unrelated that kept going through my mind uh, this week or last week was um, I was talking to Eric and he was showing me, school children, are you listening there? He was showing me the bench and the table up there the old one, and his comment on it was what uh, what I thought it was a neat comment. He said, we can do better. Uh, it had many battle scars, and it was a table that my, my children remember, and they're grown, and it had some carvings in it, and some, and the benches and the table were bad shape. And so he made another one. So school children, if we could keep this one really nice... But that isn't what I was, where I was going with that. I just really loved the phrase that Eric had, we can do better. And in my mind, uh, when, when, uh, you know, when you're faced with a decision and you're faced with which way you're gonna go and to have a mindset, you know, uh, we can do better. We can do better than that there. And there's so many areas where that was helpful to me since Eric shared that with me there. So, Palm Sunday is today. And Palm Sunday, of course, moves around. It's a Sunday right before Easter. And uh, um, Palm Sunday was when they went into Jerusalem. And just to set the tone here, a little bit before, they had a dinner. And the area was full. And they were at Bethany. And they had a dinner in Jesus' honor because things were cranking up. And there was thousands, tens of thousands of people in Jerusalem. Uh, and they were getting together for, uh, it wasn't their choice. They had to come. And many wanted to come. For many, it was a highlight of a year. And uh, Jesus was in Bethany at a dinner. And he they were kind of using that as a base camp. And if... I wasn't at Israel, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Dan, but uh, Bethany from Jerusalem, I, I read that it was a mile and a half away. So from the house that they were staying in, and then they kept going back into town, uh, back in Jerusalem that, uh, that their day long ago, uh, they, they went in for the day and then they'd come home. And if you picture it, it's like we're in Bethany here, and if you were to walk to the other side of uh, Northwoods Beach here, you'd be in Jerusalem. 
So that's about the length of the walk they were doing each day. And they were using that as a base. And uh, lots of Jews and other people were kind of coming to that their place, to Bethany, and hanging out. And, and they had heard about Lazarus. And that's what was, that he was raised, and that was, they wanted to, to know more about that. And so they had a hectic week. But on Palm Sunday, <coughs> uh, if you picture them when they were walking in, and sometimes we just, uh, I, I have a hard time picturing uh, the sounds, and like uh, Todd said, the smell of the olives, and but there was lots and lots of people and lots of children and lots of noise and lots of animals. And they were all kind of uh, hyped up for what was going to happen and they were traveling in there. And Jesus told two of his disciples, hey, go and fetch me a ride into town there. And he gave him specifics. And it was just like he had said when they were untying this donkey or when they were uh, taking it. They sa- somebody said to him, hey, what are you doing with that donkey? And they said, uh, my, my, the Lord has need of it. And the person said, oh, okay. And that the little details in there that were written four or five hundred years ago was really amazing. And... As I picture our king riding into town when everybody was recognizing him on a donkey. And it's not like kings ride into town. And it's usually when they're riding into town, it's on a big white horse or, but uh, a donkey meant peace back then, but I had to think of our country here and our president and Michelle Obama in her book, Becoming, and I'm not recommending the book, but I read it. There was, when they first got ordained, if you will, I don't think it's ordination that it is, but she was waiting there beside a secret service man. And the secret service man was waiting beside Michelle and she had some bags and... uh He was looking straight ahead and just uh, watching all over. And he said, without looking at her, without turning to her, he said, Ma'am, your life is about to change, and it will never be the same again. And then she said something like, Why? And he said, Just wait. And so they stood there for another minute, and then there was 26 lemos of various shapes and sizes, came screeching up to their area, and the right one stopped right in front of her. Somebody jumped out and opened the door and helped her in. That's how presidents and that's how kings travel. But our king rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And people pressed on both sides supporting and followed him uh, and and they were all crying out and saying hosanna and oh, i read that hosanna reads uh or that uh, hosanna means save us lord or lord save us blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord and what they were doing was uh uh hollering out psalms 118 uh and 
Zechariah 9, 400 some years before that said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon the colt the fowl of an ass. Hosanna, and that comes from uh, Psalms 118. It also, that's where it, the verse right before that, and I don't know that they were saying that, is, is this is the day that the Lord has made. And the next verse says, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the children were screaming, and uh, people were chanting, and they were taking their coats off and laying it down on the ground in a, in a, in a, it's what they could do. To honor him. Uh, today, when our king passes, the military salutes. Years ago, they used to bow. Here they were throwing down uh, palm leaves, and they were throwing down their coats. Uh, and it was a dusty, rough, rugged road that this donkey and this huge procession were going down there. And everybody that, you know, we're talking the, the, the population of Jerusalem got ten times bigger than it normally is. And so we're talking people everywhere. The motels are filled. Uh, the, the rooms are filled. People sleeping outside. There's just people everywhere. And people said, who is this? And they, they kept asking. And they'd say, oh, this is the king of the Jews this is uh, a guy that raised Lazarus, and there was rumors and truths and everything uh, going around, and, and it was a really chaotic. And Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord, and everybody was excited. That was Sunday. And one of the things that amazed me about this story is that by Friday, their chant was, Crucify Him. Crucify Him. Some of the same people, I believe, that were hollering, Hosanna! And trying to get... And they, they, they were kind of just hanging out there and they kind of got caught up in the moment and they were... This is exciting. And they, if other people cheer in an audience, sometimes you just go with it. And they were, they were supporting their king. But... One of the things that I tried to figure out is how do you go, and we saw it in our lesson this morning, amen to everything that was shared in the lesson, but we, how do you go from Peter's, I will never, even though everybody else does, I will never leave you. And how do you go from hollering, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord, to crucify Him, crucify Him. And a lot of it, I believe, was based on misinformation that the, that the church leaders at that time put out. Uh, distort, they distorted a lot of the truth. One of the things, one of the key elements that actually got Jesus in trouble is they called uh, what he said blasphemy. They said, destroy the temple. If you guys destroy the temple in three days... Uh, if you guys destroy the temple, in three days I'll put it back together again. And they were saying, that's just blasphemy. He's, 
he's blasphemy. That isn't exactly what he said. When they pressed him for a sign and so forth, what he said was, if you destroy this temple, is what he meant. In three days, I will raise it up. What he said was, this, this uh, Jesus said that if we were to wreck the temple, he could rebuild it in three days. And they used that, uh, they used that half-truth. And it destroyed people's faith. And it undermined things, and some people kind of gave up on it and said, you know, that's not right. He can't say that. Because they didn't really believe who he was. And you see it in politics today. I'm amazed at uh, how you see it in politics. Right now, they're taking half-truths. Both Pelosi and Trump and all of them, and they're saying, okay, he said this, so he's totally against, he's racist. Or he's against women. Or he's against this or that. And they take a statement that he said, and it, it helps uh, undermine faith in one, one system or another. Let me bring it closer home. Let me show you how we do it here. If Lester would say, it's really important how you live. The most important thing is how you live your life. And somebody else would say, you know what Lester says, Jesus doesn't matter. The most important thing is how you live your life. Or if I would say, you know what, grace, without Christ, we're lost. The only thing that matters is grace. And somebody would say, you know what Claire said? Claire said it doesn't matter how you live. That subtle difference, so now we're undermining each other, and that subtle difference of saying, did, did Lester say that Christ isn't the answer? He didn't. Did I say that it doesn't matter if you sin or how you live your life? It doesn't. But if you want to undermine us and you take those words and you say, all right, here's what Claire said. Claire said it doesn't matter how you live. What they were saying was, Jesus said... I, if you tear this here building down, I'll rebuild it in three days. And what Jesus says, if you tear this temple down, I'll raise it in three days. But that's what they use to undermine, and it changes to a completely false narrative, not what was meant by what was said at all. And that was, uh, uh, that was how they got some of the people off of their Hosanna, Christ is King, or the Lord is King, to crucify Him, crucify Him. That's not right for a man to say that. <clears throat> In Luke um, 19.39, and you don't have to turn to some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto Him, 
Master, rebuke thy disciples. This is still on Sunday as they're going in. They're traveling in. This whole this whole crowd is traveling along the uh, the road, and he said, and uh, they're saying uh, these things. And the Pharisees are offended by it because the Pharisees feel their power uh, being taken away from this thing from them, and uh, so they say, "Hey, Jesus, rebuke your disciples." They're saying that you're this and you're that. And Jesus says to them that beautiful phrase. He said, I, he answered them and said unto them, I'll tell you what, if they hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And it's still that way this morning. If we don't recognize the Savior and lift Him up and recognize Him as a Savior, if we don't, stones will cry out. I mean, somebody's going to give... Uh, Jesus, his recognition. The Pharisees were uneasy because they felt their power over the people eroding. While this is happening, if you can kind of try to grasp the smells, the noise, the moving along, and all of a sudden, you know, and what they're saying, they're putting these palm leaves down, they're putting their coats down, they're recognizing Jesus for who He is, uh, and they're chanting this, and it's just chaotic. And in the middle of this here scene, you have Jesus, the Bible says, and He's starting to weep. Here, Jesus is being lifted up, and He's starting to weep. Luke 19.41, And when He was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the thing which belong unto peace. But now they are hid from your eyes, for the day shall come upon you, thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another. Why? He tells us why. Because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. I think it tells a lot about a man, what makes him cry, what makes him sad, uh, or what makes him happy. And Jesus, as he's going in there, he is, this is before his suffering. He's being lifted up. And he just looks at the city. And he just, he's just really, really sad. And he starts to cry. And I don't know, men, the last time you cried and what it was about. But Jesus, as he looked out over the city and saw all the people, at one point, and it's, I think it's a different, I'm not sure, some commentaries thought it was a different one. Some, I think it was a different time when he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, as he cried and wept for the city. He said, How often would I have liked to take you like a chick takes her, uh, like a chicken takes her chicks and, and just gathers them in under their wing? But you would not, does it say in that there? I didn't look that there, uh, proper wording up, but, Jesus is sitting there and he gets incredibly sad looking out over the city. All these commotion, all these people. And he says, uh, 
if only you'd have recognized who I am at this time. If you'd have just knew who Jesus was. You know, I, I somehow, as, as I was studying this, and I think if Jesus were sitting in America today, and he looked out over, uh, you know, without being a doomsday, uh, and I'm not saying this as a prophet, but just seems like the handwriting's on the wall. There's so many bad decisions making. Uh, I just saw how, if you look at a chart of how many people put down that they don't believe, that they have no religion, is 23%, and how many people believe in Christ or believe in the Christian religion has dropped and since uh, since in the last 20 years just incredible things have happened and I just kind of wonder if Jesus wouldn't sit here and look out over America and say oh you know he's been such a blessing to us he's provided he's watched out for us you know, a lot of us have lived a life of safety. We had freedoms to worship. We have Christian schools. And yet, I, I some here he gave them. Was it forty years after this that 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 city was uh, devastated? And I don't know. We may have a hundred years. But somehow, I get the same feeling like we're a city that ran or a, a country that's that's run off of the tracks and that we're just making so many bad decisions as a country and that it'll come home to us one of these days. That same day, this all happened on Palm Sunday so far, and that same day Jesus kind of went into the temple, but it says it was pretty late, and so they didn't they didn't hang around there. And he went back from the other side of uh, Northwoods Beach here. He came back to here for the evening and the twelve. Uh, returned with them, but I don't know if you can put your. It was an exhausting day for the for the group. There's so much uncertainty, so much went down, and it was a very exhausting day. On Monday, they go back out to go over to the city, and Jesus had been teaching in a synagogue and teaching. You know, there's a there as as you study scripture. There's a pivotal point here, and it just seemed like for so long Jesus would do this or do that and fly under the radar. He'd often tell people, don't tell everybody about this. But it seems like now he's tilted forward, and he knows the end has come, and he's saying stuff and doing stuff that is actually going to move the ball down the field pretty far and pretty fast. But as he's leaving that morning, an interesting thing happens there. And I don't know what it means. Some of you might, and you can share if you care to. But that their deal about the fig tree, uh, it's Monday morning now. They had a night together. They slept, and he got up, and he was looking for something to eat, the way the Scripture says, and he couldn't find any fruit there. And there's some people say that it wasn't really in season about what I came up with there, and, and, and to me, it seems like Jesus didn't worry about food. To me, He was teaching a lesson. So there's something there for us. 
And about the only thing that I can come up with in this first part of it is that fruitlessness leads to just judgment. Fruitlessness leads to judgment. Somewhere we all need to grab a hold and bear fruit. And I does does anybody have a thought on that? Does anybody have enough, some, some more truth or more thought on that there? Okay, so it would have been in season, you felt like. So he was, that, that's why he was kind of rooting around in the trees. Okay. But it had leaves on because he was stirring. But yeah, I don't know. I, there's a lesson there for us. The beautiful thing here, though, is, is Jesus wants us to know that, but he wants us to go after it. But for us this morning, let's take it that we all better be bearing fruit. That fair enough? So from there, he goes into Jerusalem and he flips a couple tables. So out of character. He, he's driving in on a donkey and the Old Testament prophets and everything we read about in the New Testament is the salvation is gentle and peaceful and humble. And yet this morning, Monday morning, tomorrow morning, as he gets to Jerusalem, he goes in and he flips a table. And he says, you know, this business that you're running, this isn't what church is for. You're making this into a business and you're taking advantage of the poor people when they come here to buy the doves they need and all this kind of thing. And I got a problem with how you're using your church. Um, and he, I think he's, I think he's possibly, as I try to grasp everything in my mind, I think he's moving the ball down the field. I think he's ratcheting things up. I think he's, he's, uh, he knows that his time has come and he's getting things stirred up. He's not saying don't tell anybody what happened here. He's, he's, uh, scolds them, the money changers who sold doves and, and uh, it says he would not suffer that any man should carry a vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations a house of prayer, and ye have made it a den of thieves? And the scribes and the Pharisees and the priests that heard it sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because the people were astonished at his doctrine. You know, one of the things about this whole story that just really surprises me, or uh, it just just really blows me away, is here you have these church leaders, and they have a lot of good about them, and it says that what they wanted to do is kill Lazarus too. Let's kill Jesus and let's kill Lazarus. Who in the men's meeting didn't say, wait, are you sure that's the right thing to do? But they had a meeting and they said, 
we're a little worried about this. Really, we're really mad at this. He's, he's, when he flips our tables, we're really frustrated. We are really mad, but we can't kill him right now. But, but what we want to do is kill him and we want to kill Lazarus too because, um, because he raised him. And the people are, that's a storyline. And we want that storyline to go away. Uh, how far off of the track did they get to say, okay, is this Jesus? And so many times they questioned Him and questioned Him with authority. And they said, now here He raised a guy. Let's kill the guy because that's proof that... Uh, what, what train of thought would you follow? How, how would you say that there? To, uh, how would you make that work in a men's meeting? At any rate, that evening, again after an exhausting day, after a lot of action, after a lot of emotional pressure, the twelve of them, uh, his twelve disciples and Jesus went back to Bethany. On Tuesday morning they start out refreshed. I, I somehow was, as I read all the things that happened, I was exhausted myself thinking about what for a week they had. And I was glad that they had a base to go to in the evening, and I was just really glad that they could get away a little bit there. On the way in on Tuesday morning, this coming Tuesday morning, there was a discussion, and uh, the disciples, Peter I believe it was, saw the withered tree, and he said, look at that. He said, uh, Jesus, look how fast that tree withered when Jesus had cursed it the day before there. <coughs> and... Uh, Let's see, Matthew 21. Let me just, uh, that slipped my mind there. I think I have the right uh, 20 to 22. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? And Jesus answered them and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, Is this the lesson of the fig tree here? It seems to me he's swerving, swerving and I couldn't connect the two, but he's, this is the next day now and he's continuing to teach them. He says, Verily I say unto you, if you have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do what this which was, is done to the fig tree, but also ye shall say unto the, this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and it shall be done. And all these things whatsoever Yes, in prayer, believing shall be done. That needs a little clarification there. But it does seem to be a lesson connected on Palm Sunday week, on Holy Week, uh, with their procession in there. And I'm not sure what all he was thinking there. I can think of things right away where a prayer brought healing. And a prayer brought answered prayer. And a prayer in faith brought a change in somebody's life, in a child's life. But then we also uh, rush to think and clarify and kind of just, or kind of balance that off with, we can all think of times when things happened that we prayed our hearts out and didn't get an answer for. 
And I don't, I'm not here to give you the answer to unanswered prayer. As a, as a young boy, when we first became Christians at about 18 years old, Gail and Martin and I uh, became Christians at the same time. And uh, about a, oh, a month or two after that, he said, I believe that if you asked anything in Jesus' name, uh, it can happen. And we were sleeping out, and there was a shed there. We were sleeping around, and we had a campfire. And I said, so if you say there was, the shed door was broken, and I said, if you would say in prayer, I want that shed door to be fixed. And uh, he said, yeah, I could, I could do that. I could fix that. And uh, then I said, well, let's, it would increase my faith immensely. Let's try that. And he said, no, that wouldn't be right to do. I said, why wouldn't that be right to do? And he said, because it would be selfish. It would just be me showing off. And I thought, boy, that's a good answer. And uh, then Galen went on from that mindset to the mindset of... Um, speaking in tongues. And he went down that road for a while, and then he came back to me one time, and he said, Claire, I have to apologize. When we were together one other time, he spoke in tongues. And he came back later, and he apologized, and he said, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't right. That was me being overzealous. That wasn't... I said, but you spoke in tongues. He said, yeah, but that wasn't, that wasn't me uh, speaking in tongues. It was me, my pride. Galen went on then to grow in the Lord and spend his life over in the Philippines translating their little dialects into the, uh, the Bible, into their little dialects. But Jesus wanted to teach us something here. And I don't want to minimize by that story what he wanted to teach us. Uh, And I don't know why in this setting Jesus wanted to teach that. There's something about prayer that we're to tilt forward for, but I know there's something about, about trusting God and having faith that's going to change our lives, all of us. When things, when the wheels come off, when the worst happens, to have faith in those times. We were just talking this week how, you know, when you have a good day and a couple of orders come together and this happens and that happens and bills get paid, you feel really upbeat. You feel grateful to the Lord. And then if you have a day where orders don't come together or something goes wrong or the wheels fall off, different. Does that mean that you don't have faith? Does that mean that you don't trust in the Lord? If if the ups and downs in our lives can control us like that, and I wish I could get to the place where in life when I have a bad day, that things would still look bright to me because of Christ, because of what Christ did to me. I, I got off on the rails there. Jesus 
authority again was challenged here. And I, I'm going to have to close here in just a, a few minutes. So, But I want to tell you just a couple things yet if I can. Uh, again, the elite church leaders, the leading high priest and the elders, they had authority and they, and they came to Jesus and challenged him again and said, uh, by what authority are you doing this? And they're trying to trap him and they got their best men there. And Jesus says, I'll tell you what authority I'm doing this. You tell me, was John's ministry, was that a man or was that of God? With one easy question, you know, what impressed me with Jesus is, he knows what's going to happen. And he's just kind of got a steady, unfearful gaze. And he's just trusting. And he says, one question, and it just uh, really upsets their cart. And they get back together and he said, if we say this, he'll say that. And the people will say this. And, if we, and they came back and they said, you know, we don't know. And then he said, well, then I won't tell you either. And then he goes into a few stories. But after those stories, they recognized that it was, that, that he, those stories were about him. They tried a different method. And they came to Jesus more, uh, uh, nicer. And they said, you know, we know you're a great man and you're, you're this and, and, and you're that. And, uh, they tried to trap him in a different way. And again, Jesus messed up their plans and so forth. But, uh, if uh, Jesus says to them, uh, you know, you're blind guides, you're whitewashed tombs, you're beautiful on the outside, but you're filled with dead man's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look righteous, but inwardly, you're hypocrites. And uh, to tell those high priests that, was uh, was just just incredible to me that he was able to just gaze at him and tell those people that there. <clears throat> I lost my train of thought here just a little bit there. And he began to speak in parables after that dialogue. Uh, Jesus tells him, A certain man planted a vineyard and set a hedge about it and digged places and uh, put a tower and I'm reading out of Mark 12, and he describes how uh, he bought this vineyard and he got somebody to tend it, but whoever tended it didn't give him any return on it. Uh, and so he sends uh, his uh, people out to see if he couldn't get a return, and they, were, they killed the ones and so forth, or were mean to him or beat him up. And then he sent his son out, and they killed the son. And uh, they knew he was talking about them as he described these. And he says to them a phrase that I thought was really special, talking to these teachers of the law, talking to these uh, uh, high priests, have ye not read the scripture? Have ye not read in the scripture? Here's, this is in the, in the crowd and he's uh, bringing them up to, have you not read the scripture that the stone which the builder rejected is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hold on him, but feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken the parable against them, and they left him and went their way. That's when he got uh, 
Tuesday is when he got the disciples together and told them how it's going to be at the end of the world. Uh, and he told them how people are going to love of many is going to go cold. And he has this uh, discussion, the Olivet uh, discourse. Sat down and explained how a lot of people towards the end of our of your of time, people are going to hate. Uh, parents are going to be disobeyed, uh, and and families are going to be coming apart. And he describes our day. A side note. Right about that time, Judas took a chance here, but he went to meet with the top leaders and he negotiated a deal, 30 pieces of silver. I don't know, there's a various, depends what silver is currently worth, there's various, but it was at least uh, a few months labor and uh, that brings us up to our lesson and I kind of lost my way on my notes and I see our time is about here. Let me just uh, go to my closing thoughts here. Paragraph that I read from one commentator. Palm Sunday, which is the day everyone who lined the streets had a different reason for waving those palms. Some were political activists. They'd heard that Jesus had supernatural power and they wanted him to use it to free Israel from Roman rule. Others had loved ones who were sick and dying. They waved branches hoping for physical healing. Some were onlookers merely looking for something to do, while others were genuine followers who wished Jesus would establish himself as an earthly king. Jesus was the only one in the parade who knew why he was going to Jerusalem to die. He had a mission. Everyone else had an agenda. What a friend we have in Jesus. Let's kneel for prayer. Lord, we recognize you as a Savior and as our Lord. And we thank you for rescuing us. Help us to grasp the truth of what happened that week long ago. Help us to live our lives in light of your sacrifice. Help us to be alert and to be ready for when you come again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.